brilliant beginning. Learn in love and grow in wisdom. Yes, sometimes it breaks our heart to learn in love, like what's been happening this week. But to come together in a group, we try again, we learn again, we deepen again. It is good to be together this morning and in this space. At dinner a few weeks ago, I was talking with uh, Michael, our son, 17-year-old son, and, and Nick and I was saying that I was doing some research on parenting. And our 17-year-old looks up with a wry smile, says, don't you think it's a little late? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, actually, how many of you here feel like you come to the wisdom of parenting a little late as a parent. <laughs> you can speak to your children of life, comes the words of the first chapter of William Martin's book, The Parents Dao De Jing. You can speak to your children of life, but your words are not life itself. You can show them what you see, but your showing and their seeing are forever different things. I wanted to share in the beginning that I do share a few images of Sarah, her daughter, and Michael, and I have, I always ask them permission if I speak about them at all in sermons or in talks, and I like to even model for them that that's important to, of course, ask a person if you're going to talk about them or tell a story about them if it's okay. So relax, they all know I'm talking about them. (laughs) What Michael doesn't yet know is that we're always learning about parenting. Hopefully, and we're always evolving with and because of our children. Now, there are critical times, of course, which we navigate as best as we can, but in general, what we are when we're at our best in parenting, we are hoping to nurture a sense of grounding in the world that helps them feel life's worth and their worth in the life that they're in. Most of us want to foster our children's participation in a thriving interdependence, encouraging respect of self and others, and to know their responsibility to help shape the world. We hope as well that they will find their unique gifts of being and their ability to encourage others in their own gifts. Another common hope, which I'm sure is widespread in an ethical culture society, is that they will be good, constructive citizens and know how to live and share their happiness, how to love deeply and widely. Now, the challenge and the play of parenting is in juggling our ideals with reality, our vision with circumstance, our aspirations within a society that's not yet a consistent helpful partner in fostering a good life for our children. And some of us are far less supported, far less safe, far less encouraged to thrive than others. Jasmine Hughes wrote in a recent article entitled, What Black Parents Tell Their Sons About Police. Such is the burden of black parenting, she writes. Being a black parent, especially of a black boy, comes with the added onus of having to protect your child from a country that is out to get him, a country that kills someone that looks like him every 28 hours, 
a country that will likely imprison him by his mid-30s if he doesn't get his high school diploma, a country that is more than twice as likely to suspend him from school than a white classmate, end quote. This last Mother's Day, Mothers for Justice United organized a march here in Washington to lift up the urgency of seeing all children as worthy of equal protection and regard. From the Mothers for Justice website describing Maria Hamilton, who founded the organization in Milwaukee, her impetus for this, it reads, Maria came to know the suffering which has been visited on all too many black mothers whose children have been victims of violence or vigilante violence. Unarmed black men in particular have been effectively executed for minor crimes such as jaywalking, suspected theft of cigars, selling loose cigarettes, shoplifting, or as in the cases of Trayvon Martin and Dontre Hamilton, the non-criminal acts of making white people uncomfortable or fearful in public. Those strong women are sharing their stories and the pain that is often covered by the spectacle of the headlines. These mothers have mourned but choose to share, hurt but choose to heal, have lost but choose to fight. End quote. The Million Moms March was an effort to lift up injustices but also to encourage deeper exploration and accountability of the patterns and practices of police agencies, something that you all know in your weekly vigil. A companioning need as well is for all of us to reflect upon and further understand the patterns and practices of ways of being in community, of the messages of value that we model, of the ways we create unsafe environments and a habit toward biases that divide us far more than diversify us. How can we help law enforcement serve and protect all of our citizens? What social environments are we creating that disempowers the work of justice? This week's horrific violence in Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, calls the question, what does our society teach our children about violence, about race, about life's worth? We need to know this in deeper and more accountable ways. And this is not just up to the parents. This is not just up to law enforcement. This is not just up to the schools. This is not just up to government. It's up to all of us to pay attention, to ask hard questions, to see the answers in the living of our lives, to start with our children, our families, our communities, our civic duties, and see how we are fractured. Learn how we can connect. Learn even how we can learn. Since if the ways are not working, the ways we are with one another are not working, we're going to have to think differently. We're going to have to see differently. We're going to have to create different priorities. We're going to have to honor different visions. The power of parenting is in modeling not only for our children, but for all children. This doesn't mean we'll do the same things or attend the same events or prefer the same ways of gathering, but it does mean embracing a common vision of collaborative living and honoring the inherent worth and dignity of each being 
as part of the interdependent web of all existence. We're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, Dr. Martin Luther King reminds us, tied in a single garment of destiny. And this network of mutuality is first learned in the family, first stretched and tested, first relied upon or distrusted. There are many factors to the forming of our lives, yet the lessons we learn from our relational experiences in childhood create powerful patterns in our way of seeing and believing. When considering ethics around the topic of parenting, we can come at it from two primary perspectives. We can talk of ethics in parenting or ethics of parenting. Ethics in parenting would be a look at parenting practices, bedtime routines, choices in education, and in family formation. That's a spiral conversation for all of our contexts are different. All of our church choices will be different, and the people involved are all different. Besides, there are shelves upon shelves upon shelves on the way to parent. And if we stick with that spiral, we could get, cra- we could get caught in the crazies of too much choice. What gets more to the core of our relational living is the ethics of parenting. In other words, why do it at all? What's the point? How does parenting tie into our convictions of being? The point of parenting, at the very least, of course, is the propagation of our species. We nurture our young to create future generations, to participate in evolution. Creating a cultivated way of being with one another in our parenting could ensure the safety and well-being of humanity. So why encourage the species to propagate? The earth certainly wouldn't miss us. It would probably give a great sigh of relief. And yet, I know, that's right, that's right. I know I'm wired for wonder. And I know from instinct and intuition, from experience and impulse, that part of human being is to witness, to respond, to discover, and to manifest love of being, to be willful participants in what Lebanese poet Khalil Gibran named life's longing for itself. Your children are not your children, reads his famous poem, often used in Unitarian Universalist child dedications. They're the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. Our daughter Sarah, when she was around three, trying to put words to her wonder and her understanding of how things work, she had this phrase that she would go, it's as big as the world is. It's as big as the world is. I knew then that I could not contain her life in the confines of mine. And there's a wonderful, all of these art pieces actually are wonderful. I'm glad I came early enough to see them. The one over here, Living, articulates that. There's a phrase there, parenting has and continues to transform me in unimaginable ways. Children are here to take us to places 
that we did not imagine. You may strive to be like them, comes a later stanza of the Gibran poem, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backwards, nor tarries with yesterday. I remember the first time I was given that lesson. Again, it was with Sarah. She was about 14 or 15. And we were sitting in a room, and I sat next to her. She was working on the computer, and I thought we'd have, you know, a little talk. And there was a silence, and she looked at me and gave me a look that I'd never seen before of, what are you doing here? You're cramping my space. So as elegantly as I could, I got out of the room, and I was proud at that moment. Ah, she's differentiating. I know this. She's differentiating. This is great. This is supposed to be how it is. Until, of course, this grew to what I would say is an unreasonable disdain (laughs) and an unfamiliar emotional distance, one I wasn't prepared for, and I became afraid. That's when the challenge and play of parenting kicks in, when we are freed of any assumption that we know what we're doing. We must step into the unknown if we want to companion life's longing for itself. According to Darwin's Origin of Species, Leon C. Megason pointed out at a social science association convention, it is not the most intellectual of the species that survives, it is not the strongest that survives, but the species that survives is the one that is able best to adapt and adjust to the changing environment in which it finds itself. End quote. So we parents need to stay aware enough of the evolving species, which is our children, to help them navigate the world in which they live and steady enough in our care to provide a reliable landing zone between flights. We do have wisdom to share and wonder to impart, and it is an interactive phenomenon. Parenting is not for the weak-hearted. When you're doing your job well, eventually you'll be fired. (laughs) The challenge in play is to guide our children toward thriving while becoming less and less vital to their existence. Parenting is not for the weak-spirited. When you're doing your job well, you create space in your life for the new. The challenge in play is to orient our children toward well-being while realizing we cannot comprehend all that they will need. It's a lonely, lovely learning time. It's different for each one of us, but it is a gift of inner growth, of honing a humble perseverance, of staying grounded in the flow of changing times, and we don't always get it right when that happens. Driving along with my son, 17, just got his license, working things out. And I know that you all know that in text speak now, there's, you know, little uh, abbreviations like LOL, you know, laugh out loud, or BTW, by the way, and things like that. And one of the little phrases is YOLO, which is you only live once. And that's usually used for, I've just done something crazy, but hey, YOLO, you know, you only live once. So we're driving along in the car, and he's driving, and I'm in the car, and I just say, Michael, 
no YOLO while driving. (laughs) And there's this pause, and he says, Mom, no kids speak, ever. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Rick Potts, director of Smithsonian's Human Origins Program, offers that our primate tribe survived in the tough journey of evolution through our ability to cope with constant change and use it for our survival. According to Potts, we may be the most adaptable mammal to date. Now this, of course, calls for paying attention to all of life, not just to ourselves. So on the one hand, we encourage our children to embrace the unique gift of being that they are, and on the other, we want to make sure they can adapt to the world in which they live. One pitfall in encouraging our child's gift is the competitive, consumerist edge of our society. We need our children often to be special. But when we set our children up to being special, for the need to be special, we're teaching them that they need approval for who they basically are. To be special, you need to be noticed and better and have more than others. Through this, we breed the pathology of celebrity and glamour, giving a narrow space of acceptance and a limited awareness of beauty. We are not in charge of their uniqueness. It's not up to us what bit of the universe they embody. When we bring specialness into the space, of, uh, it brings it into comparison and judgment, and we treat who our children are as commodities rather than whatever gift of being is blessedly before us. Advice from William Martin's book, The Parents Tao Te Ching. Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand. And make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. Everyone is extraordinary because we are unique. There really is no ordinary if we look deeply enough. Beauty and grace abound in spite of our need to impose order. Life longs for itself in spite of our need to defend it or define it as if we're the center of all things. Instead of worrying about whether they are extraordinary enough to survive by standing out in a crowd, we need to help our children embrace change as a narrative in their lives and not mark their lives by any particular success or failure. We model adaptation by letting them be who they are, test their inclinations, and welcoming the evolution therein, which also helps them welcome the diversity that is around them. And paradoxically, they will shine. We're given the challenge and the play of letting the person come to life as a never-before human being. 
We share the pitfalls we know so that at least they don't make the same mistakes. I know when I, Sarah was first born or first born, I looked at her, I said, welcome to the world, and the first thought I had was we have to have two funds, one for college and one for therapy because I'm going to make mistakes. We offer companionship because as relational beings, we cannot grow into our lives in isolation. And we live as part of the narrative of their lives, which includes both how to be and how not to be, trusting in the tough and tender aspiration toward wholeness. Each life uniquely adds to the richness of experience and infinite variety ever unfolding amongst us. We claim the child's dignity and her or his potential to contribute to our understanding of what it means to be alive. Our children contribute to our understanding and we to theirs on what it means to be alive We acknowledge that we each have partial truth, that we need one another for the glimpse of the larger whole. Being a parent that allows for the evolution of our species means loving life's longing for itself. We are blessed to be part of this extraordinary journey of conscious being. So happy Father's Day. Embrace the journey. Forgive the imperfections and find the value of your lives in all of life. So may it be.